Welcome to the second episode of Out Loud, the Selective Mutism podcast. This is Chelsea. This is Anne, Chelsea's mom. And today we're going to talk about going back to school with Selective Mutism. Um, Thank you so much for subscribing and downloading and listening to our first episode. It's really awesome to see people reaching out on Instagram. People are like DMing me and sharing their experiences and it's so fun to read them and um, it's encouraging to hear that people liked our first episode. And you actually did a great job of getting us on um, several different sites. Yeah, we're on a bunch of different podcast apps now. So we're on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Deezer, Stitcher, Radio Public, Radio.com. There's a bunch. So if whatever podcast app you use, we're probably on there now. We're going to be posting on Fridays since we posted the first one on Friday. So um, just make sure you're subscribed and following us so you know when the new episodes come out. So I started kindergarten in 1999. I went to a private Catholic school. Um, I was not diagnosed when I started kindergarten with selective mutism, but it was pretty clear that there was something going on with anxiety problems, um, since I wasn't talking to other kids in preschool and at the start of kindergarten, I wasn't, um, answering questions and (laughs) participating in class, basically. Couldn't do attendance. Right, attendance was terrifying way to start the day, um... Yeah, I think it was about, I want to guess that it was about November when your kindergarten teacher approached me about that there was something not quite right and that we should have you evaluated. I can't believe they waited that many months. Well, I think in the beginning (laughs) you're still, you usually still get, oh, she'll warm up or it's early in the year. And then, like you said last time, too, the criteria is the first month of school doesn't Right, so the first month doesn't count anyway. It's just funny that the teacher, like, wouldn't, like, three months of me not saying anything before Mm -hmm. she said anything to you. We're going to talk about some different challenges that happened in kindergarten. I did have, like, one friend in kindergarten. I know I made more than one. Let's see. But at first I had just one. Right. And I'm still friends with her today. We were both quiet in kindergarten, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did, do you remember how we became friends? We always argue about how we became friends. I think it was right from the beginning of the school year. Um, I think Dad actually met her mom mm-hmm. at school, and they kind of bonded. And then based on that, she worked at the school. So she would always get you two together or talk to the teachers and then get you guys together as a pair mm-hmm. in the classroom. You ended up in the same class. So it actually worked out great because then she was at the school every day and just could kind of keep an eye on you or let me know what was going on at school Right behind the scenes. She, she was, was very friendly and she was always really helpful. Yeah, so she just kind of took you under her wing right away and um, looked out for you. Yeah, so I had at least one friend um, that I could talk to at school. So just to clarify, I was speaking at home um, mm-hmm. and not at school. Like, I guess one-on-one with my one friend, I would talk at school as long as no one was listening. <laughs> right. And other than that, I was silent at school. And not just silent. Well, yes, yeah, silent, but mm-hmm. also all the issues that go along with that. Right. I had a lot of 
anxiety about school. Attendance was big, so I just remember like waiting <laughs> for my name to be called and like trying to prepare myself and it would just like get to me and I couldn't get the words out. And then from that day on, it just felt like I was not going to talk for the rest of the day because I couldn't do attendance or I couldn't answer other kids or respond like when teacher called on me. So I do remember talking about that to the teacher and then trying different, instead of you verbally having to respond, I remember us talked about raising your hand and I can't remember, could you do that? Because I think we had Maybe to work not. on that too. There was a bunch of, yeah, even like nonverbal behaviors that I felt too afraid to do like I don't know even just like playing with other kids was a no I couldn't get up and use the bathroom or get up and sharpen a pencil like anything that would draw attention to me I wouldn't do and you had a pretty good size class too it was private but you still had I think about 19 kids in your class how did you find out that I had selective mutism or how did you find out that that diagnosis exists in preschool I mean we knew something was up um, I just thought you were shy um, you know kind of fussy as, a, as an infant and toddler uh, lots of tantrums so we kind of knew there was something just about your temperament or your disposition once the teacher suggested to me that we should get an evaluation that I remember she met me outside one day when I was picking you up and she recommended that we have you evaluate it so I just remember saying to her, so you think there is a diagnosis there? And she said, oh, yes. <laughs> so that was the turning point where I decided, okay, we need to do something. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually would be up till like midnight Googling, trying to find something that yeah. fit your symptoms. So I actually did re- remember Googling um, extremely shy child. And I actually found myself online, selective mutism. I remember reading the symptoms and going to tell your father, oh my God, I found it. Like it fit you perfectly. Um, the freezing body, no eye contact, not wanting attention on yourself. So from there, we went to getting a consult at Boston Children's. And that's where you were diagnosed. At Boston Children's, did you have to find someone who had experience with selective mutism? Um, I don't think I did at that point. They di- It was in the pediatric psych and it was just an evaluation. I know you saw a couple of people that day. She was a specialist in childhood anxiety. Okay. I was just wondering if you, like, it sounds like you found the diagnosis yourself, so I was wondering if you, like, suggested it to, like, a doctor or something, or if they just agreed with you. Um, No, we didn't really say. We just took you in, did the eval, Mm -hmm. but the end of that visit that day, I did say to her I had found that online, but she came out with I remember after they met with you individually, her telling me, you know, that you you were able to describe to them, like your heart beating, getting sweaty, mm-hmm. um, not being able to talk, the words were stuck in your throat. Um, she said you were really able to define or describe what you were experiencing. And so then I said to her, oh, well, I did find this online. And she's like, yes, that was one of your diagnoses. Mm-hmm. I do have a lot Like, I feel like I can remember a lot of kindergarten, probably because a lot of it was not traumatic, but actually maybe traumatic, but just, like, really (laughs) anxiety-provoking. So I remember, like, being really anxious and having those kinds of reactions Mm -hmm. um, to kids, like, noticing that I wasn't talking and calling me out. And I don't know. 
like going to recess and not participating like just kind of standing there because <laughs> I didn't want attention on me I remember it was always a tough day if your friend was out sick or she didn't go to school that day that right. was always tough trying to have a backup friend yeah I didn't have backup friends you did make other friends that year but for the for most of the especially the beginning part of the year it was just that one little girl mm-hmm. when we took you to Boston people might be wondering well what did we tell you and how did you feel about that um I don't really remember. We did, We used to talk about it. So we, we just talked about it out in the open. I tried to get you to talk about your feelings. And you were very hopeful. Um, you thought they were going to help you. And so you wanted to go for the appointment. And I remember um, when we came, we just explained that they were going to help you be able to talk when you wanted to talk. And I remember we were coming back in the car and you were in the back seat. And uh, I think we were halfway home and you just said, oh, well... And Dad and I said, what? Like, what are you talking about? And you said, well, I guess that didn't work. Oh. And we were like, what do you mean? <laughs> so you thought... There was like an instant fix. Yes, there was going to be some sort of instant, go see the doctor, and you were all better. And it's not. It takes years and, like, putting yourself in, like, uncomfortable situations. I don't know. I pushed myself through presentations and like I've thrown up in front of people I've fainted in front of people so many times mm-hmm. uh, I don't know there's no like instant fix mm-hmm. and I did go on medication and that wasn't instant either <laughs> yeah that was in second grade that right. we ended up trying some medication right so I was just going to talk about kindergarten graduation because I just remembered mm-hmm. that me and my one friend um we went up and got our diploma together. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we weren't sure that you'd be able to go when they called your name. Yeah. And so her mom suggested that the two of you could go together. Which was nice. I kind of mm-hmm. felt like it was just for me, but she always says that she was shy, too, in kindergarten. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But it, was, it definitely helped to have someone to walk up with and get the diploma. I had a really good first grade teacher who got to know me. I guess we talked about it a little bit in the first podcast episode. I think we mentioned Miss Kim. Right. So she, yeah, we just talked about how she came over before school and got to know me during the summer. And she built rapport. And I really think that's important. And it's like key to build trust because I think with kids who have selective mutism, trust is like necessary they're not going to talk to you unless there's, like, trust and there's a history of, um, like, a supportive relationship. So I think how that came about was, um, actually, I think maybe we found out who your teacher was going to be for um, first grade, and maybe it was through your friend's mom. (laughs) But we found out who your first grade teacher was, and it just so happened one of our neighbors was personal friends with her. So we invited her over for, um, I think it was, like, just afternoon and uh, sat out in the backyard had some lemonade had some snacks and uh, then you and Miss Kim went up to your bedroom so you could show her your room and I let you just go up alone Um, and you stayed up there for maybe half an hour or so and um, just got to know each other showed her all your toys and things like that but that was um, pivotal I think I think yeah it takes away part of the mystery of going back to school when you already met your teacher and it's not like another thing that you can't predict like you're going into school knowing your teacher obviously that's probably not possible for a lot of people 
to have your teacher come to your house and like hang out with you but so, I would say like if you can like make a meeting I know a lot of schools would let you have meetings before school and you can mm-hmm. at least meet your teacher once before the first day yeah and just maybe even on the playground if you can't go into the school maybe even on the playground for half an hour just to put you know just to meet each other in that environment so I started going to therapy in first grade or was it second grade uh, once we got your diagnosis it was first grade but it was really it took us probably like six six months maybe to like you know find somebody um, I had had a list of through our insurance company of people that were known to treat SM but unfortunately when I there was one actually there was one in the next town and when I called they were full she wasn't taking any more patients um, so then I just started trying to find someone who did childhood anxiety. Um, and we did end up finding somebody um, who had treated an SM child before and said she had had success. Uh, so we went with her. I remember like playing with her. She, I, f- I feel like I kind of like had some resentment towards her just because she was like pushing me to talk and stuff. But she definitely did a good job and she um, built rapport before like pushing um, any I don't know challenging me at all I remember feeling in the beginning that it was kind of silly <laughs> that I'm paying for this because you would go in and just do board games right. and play which at, you know at the time I didn't really see the benefit to that I'm like oh I'm paying for her to go there and play um, but then she explained to me she's really building trust building mm-hmm. a relationship and she said sometimes she would um, cheat <laughs> to see if you would uh, correct her or if you would l- just let her get away with it. Mm-hmm. So she was challenging you in little ways. Um, right, she built it up. And it's yeah. interesting, like, look, now that I do ABA, like, applied behavior analysis, so I am a therapist for kids with autism, and that is definitely necessary, um, building rapport and trust before you start putting demands on a child. One of my like strongest memories from that, I remember, I guess I was already talking to her and maybe I was talking a little bit in school because she was working on my voice volume mm. with me and I was like being too quiet. I've always been quiet. People still tell me I'm quiet. But she was having me read a book and she was playing music on like a boombox and she kept turning the volume up and she wanted me to read louder than the volume of the boombox and it was really hard and I remember doing that but I think I eventually I did it oh, I don't I didn't know I don't remember that <laughs> but I didn't that's know like that. one of my strongest memories with her I don't know why huh. uh-huh. so she really introduced us to sticker charts mm-hmm. we had every week we would go she would set about five goals with you um, you would come up with the goals together and then we would work on it at home through the week with sticker charts and then she um, one time did that cotton ball chair mm-hmm. um, so just to go back a little bit sticker charts are when you earn a sticker for um I don't know completing a part of a goal so maybe every time you wave to someone or every time you raise your hand in class you would get a sticker obviously it depends on what your goal is um and even. then at like a certain amount of stickers you would get like a bigger prize Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, we used to have a, like a treasure chest mm -hmm. just with little whatever dollar items. And then the big gift would be like a Beanie Baby, mm -hmm. a stuffy, something like that that you really wanted. Yeah, and then the cotton ball jar was like, I guess it didn't actually work because it was too big of a jar. But mm -hmm. it was a jar and I don't know what my goal was, but every time... I don't know. Maybe it was every time I talked to someone. I think that was near the ball. end. That was near the yeah. end of the therapy. So I think it was every time you spoke to somebody out in public, yeah. you were to put a cotton ball in the jar. And then when the jar got full, we were going to take it back to her. Um, but it was a big jar. <laughs> it was like a yeah. five-gallon jar. It was like those <laughs> ones that you have the cheese puffs in. Yeah. So we should have started, or whatever, maybe with a smaller you know smaller more achievable goal right <laughs> mm -hmm. but yeah that's the idea behind those like reinforcement strategies they use in therapy and you could totally implement that in your home or do it with um like collaborate with the teacher to do it mm -hmm. um maybe in private because I never wanted something that was specific to me that would make me stand out from other kids but I definitely had like I I'm trying to think. I had a deal with my first grade teacher that if I did a reading, obviously this is after like a lot of progress, that if I did a reading at mass, I would get to go out to friendlies with her for ice cream. Mm -hmm. And I was able to do that. We could have never imagined that you would have been able to accomplish that. Yeah. And I think the only way you did was having Miss Kim as a teacher. Yeah, because I liked her and I wanted to make her happy I guess or make her proud mm -hmm. or you trusted her and you felt safe in the classroom yeah so I think we were I just want to say that she did this I think it was um I'm not how far into the school year you were a couple of months anyway and you know the kids know that you don't speak and if you ever had a substitute they would all let the substitute know she doesn't speak she doesn't talk um and I know Miss Kim said she just got tired of hearing it one day so when it was said she just stopped the class and um she said she told them Chelsea does talk and she never wants to hear anyone say that again and that when Chelsea wants to talk she will talk and that was kind of that and so I think you really trusted her and from that point on yeah so grade two I think is when we started um, medication so in grade two I started medication I remember like being really silly when I first started taking it because it was too high of a dose I definitely, I had a few more friends by then, maybe two or three people that I would talk to, and when I started taking medication, I was, like, being silly in front of the whole class. I remember we had spelling bees in each classroom, so they would, like, find the best person in each classroom, and then they would go on to, like, the full school spelling bee, and I actually got kicked out of the spelling bee because I was being too crazy and, like, being silly. So I had to go sit down, which was a pretty big deal. Well, I think um, we didn't start medication right away. You were in therapy for quite a while, and we were making some progress. I know one day you came home in second grade, and you had uniforms, and you had on a yellow shirt, dress shirt, with your skirt. And um, you had something all down your arm, and I asked you what it was, and you told me that one of your friends had wiped ketchup from her french fries all down it was all down your sleeve and you couldn't say anything so you were covered in ketchup and I couldn't believe that that had happened to you 
and that you were unable to say anything and um <laughs> that's really sad i don't know if i wrote a letter <laughs> or what happened but i know you the little girl had written you an apology letter and she was your friend and i don't think they were trying to be mean but whatever it was funny so i think after that it wasn't just that one incident but just everything we just decided let's give the medication a try with the therapy Mm-hmm. So we did start low, which probably you don't remember that part. We started low, and um, it was like flicking a light switch, though, with you. Um, I know they told us it could take a couple of months for the medicine to work, but with you, the minute, the day we gave it to you, whether it was just Placebo. you feeling, right, <laughs> maybe feeling confident, and we told you it's not going to make you talk. Mm-hmm. We just said it's going to make you feel comfortable so you can do whatever you want to do. But there was one point in grade two when the dose, we upped it, and it was too high because you were being silly in school. Mm-hmm. You know, the teacher called me, so we backed we backed back down. But I definitely think for you it was the right decision, even though we felt, you know, we had mixed emotions about it. Um, and they did tell us to keep you on it for one year so you could experience one full year of incidents like on medication but we took you off I think after eight months just because I felt I wasn't totally comfortable with it so I took you off but I know looking back I did regret not keeping you on for the full year I think it's very individual decision and you have to do what you feel is right I think when I started talking more at school people did have reactions at first like they were all surprised that I did talk and then I had, like, some of my close friends would, like, stick up for me and they would say, like, oh, she always talks to me. She doesn't talk to you. And it was kind of, like, this weird, like, who could get me to talk competition, which is not fun. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. When you were little, all the kids wanted to be your friend. Like, you know, you didn't speak, but everybody wanted to be your partner in school. Everyone wanted to, you know be friends with Chelsea and then as you got a little bit older I think it changed and then people kind of felt like you were a little bit snobby or you know why weren't you talking maybe they thought you didn't like them so fourth grade um, you were having a lot of anxiety and uh, doing you had to do a lot of oral presentations and so we met with the teacher at parent teacher night we explained everything to her Um, she was uh, very understanding told us how she also had anxiety so not to worry And uh, it didn't really help. Oh, she was never, I never thought of her as a nice teacher. (laughs) She was, I don't know, she didn't seem to understand. She seemed like frustrated with me almost. I know I was called to the school quite a few times for uh, Chelsea fainting. And I'd have to go pick her up. Yeah, I, I remember... I would like make myself do presentations because it was it felt even worse to not do it because then you stand out even more for not doing it. Um, So I would make myself do some presentations um, and I just remember like my vision going black and having to like sit on the floor. I never like fell and hit my head when I was fainting which I feel like a lot of people think you just like fall on the ground but I could like tell it was coming so I would always sit down (laughs) it just looked like I was having like a panic attack which I probably was 
I remember one time you would put your head down on your desk because you were going to faint and then yeah. you got in trouble for that the yeah. teacher so you put your head back up and then you passed out uh-huh. and then I got called to come get you so then I had to write a note to the teacher explaining that's why you were putting your head down on your desk right. and in the future please you know <laughs> let you put your head down if you because you felt faint yeah I remember like fainting too and when you like finally open your eyes again and you can see people every just like everyone's in a circle around you like staring and that made you want to faint again almost like oh, no we're <laughs> oh my god that's awful i can't imagine yeah and i definitely i'm sure a lot of people can relate to going to the nurse's office like a lot <laughs> whenever you're not feeling good um i felt like i ended up going to the bathroom more often to escape I would get, like, physically sick with anxiety. And, of course, you don't want to, like, throw up in front or faint in front of everyone because that draws more attention to you. Mm -hmm. So I would always just try to go to the bathroom until it passed. Um, And I remember, like, the teacher would have to send kids to go look for me because I would be gone for a long time. And then I just remember, like, being in the stall and, like, some kid that I, like, had never talked to would come in and be like, Chelsea. And I, like, wouldn't answer because I don't talk to them. And then they would go back and be like, oh, she wasn't in there. And then it would be, like, a big deal. Even just asking to go to the bathroom. So I think I would try not to even use the bathroom at school. Yep. So, (laughs) and that ended up uh, being a problem. Yes. So Chelsea, because she was trying to hold it all day long, she ended up with a lot of UTIs, urinary tract infections. You know, it really is important to have a system set up with your teacher for you to go to the bathroom. Right. Whether you have a code, we did a few things with different teachers, and then some teachers just said, you know, Chelsea, just go whenever you need to go. Mm -hmm. But you said even that was hard because you had to get up in front of people. Yeah. I've seen a lot of people posting, like, using, um, like, a picture exchange system with their kids. So, like, I don't know. If they need the bathroom, they'll, like, hand over some card to a teacher instead of having to ask verbally, which I think works as long as the kid isn't like stigmatized by that because I know that I wouldn't feel comfortable using that kind of system Um, yeah we came up with putting like a chip yeah a token on top of your desk I was more comfortable with like secretive codes so that other kids wouldn't notice what Mm -hmm. was going on even though they probably did but yeah we also did a thing one year I think where you were putting your pencil up along the edge of your desk so the teacher would notice that you needed to go yeah just working out a private system with the teacher always worked for you. Yeah, I think it's just, like, you're trying to promote, uh, like, treating selective mutism and talking, but when it comes to, like, the bathroom, I think it's okay to start um, with, like, a nonverbal system just because of, like, medical complications that can come from holding your pee. Right. <laughs> yeah. Or I know some kids have accidents because they won't ask to go. Yep. Um, which can be even more embarrassing. So I stayed at that school up until fifth grade. Actually, sixth grade. I finished sixth grade before I switched to another school. By that point, I was talking more. I'd say I was doing okay with talking to other kids, like, one-on-one, and I was doing some participation in class, like, answering questions, but presentations were definitely, like, the hardest like whenever and reading whenever I would have to read in front of the class that was harder yeah so you switched to a school in the next town over 
Um, and that was basically you asked to switch. Um, you wanted to have a fresh start with new kids mm-hmm. um, where nobody knew. Um, I wasn't. I didn't have the label of not talking at the new school, so I could start talking without any like kind of reaction from other kids. And I remember like when I was switching, some of the kids from my old school were going there too, and I would. I was afraid they would tell like other kids that I like don't talk which Mm -hmm. I was trying to get a fresh start Mm -hmm. and that was a good switch that was a good decision for you you made new friends you did sleepovers yeah I think I was ready Mm -hmm. to start over that was only a two-year school so it wasn't like I was going into like a school that already had I don't know like everyone was starting new in seventh grade it wasn't like I was the new kid or anything so I think that was helpful. I think it would be hard to switch to another school where you're... The new kid. The new kid. <laughs> yeah. That's a good point. I hadn't thought of that yeah. before. It w- It's, like, unusual for a school to only be 7th and 8th grade. Yeah, I think you did gym. I think you participated in gym yeah. class there also, um, which we didn't really talk about gym, but that was um, always a problem. But I think once you switched right away, you participated in yeah. all the gym classes. Gym has always been, like, my least favorite subject in school, in high school, too. It's just, like, I I feel like it's really embarrassing, like, having to do physical things in front of other people. I, I feel like I would get made fun of sometimes for, like, how I would do things, so I was just, like, too afraid to try anything in gym class. Yeah, I remember getting <laughs> phone calls um, that Chelsea wasn't participating in gym class, um, so we had talked about that, but then it became, and the teacher was okay with that a little bit. We were, she was willing to let you sit out um, in the beginning, but then it became a problem because then all the other students wanted to sit out with you under the tree also. I remember one day, it was like more than half the class was just <laughs> sitting with me. It, was, it looked like a protest, <laughs> but it kind of ruined it for me. I was kind of sad that I didn't get to sit out anymore. The new school, I was, I had fun at the in seventh and eighth grade, I feel like I had friends and I felt normal for the most part, even though I, w- I still had anxiety, but it wasn't like crippling to the point where I couldn't do things. And you did participate, you know, we didn't really talk about that, but you did participate in, um, was it Girl Guides? I'm going to say it wrong because of Canada. <laughs> That's Canadian. Girl Scouts. She didn't mention that, but she is Canadian. Yeah, so you were in Girl Scouts for... I don't know, one or two years? I don't know if I made it that long. Maybe one year. One year. I remember hiding in the bathroom during Girl Scouts, too. Did I sell cookies? I think the family bought cookies. <laughs> <laughs> that would be really hard to do, I think. I think by, like, 7th and 8th grade, I technically did not have selective mutism. I probably, I guess I would say I just had, like, pretty bad social anxiety. So high school, I started high school in a public high school, which was um, kind of an adjustment. It was a lot bigger than my other schools, too. I was in the band, so that kind of was like a warm-up before school because they have band camp before, like during the summer before school starts. I met a lot of people through band that way, and that made like going to school easier. I just remember showing up with you for band camp and you couldn't get out of the car mm-hmm. the first two days, I think. I think the first day we may have actually went home. 
and then the second day you were fine till we got there and then in the parking lot you were like pale sweaty yeah. you had to lay the chair back you thought you were going to faint and the band director came over and um talked to me we were able to get you out of the car and you just laid down like in the back of his truck mm -hmm. and then he drove you over and told me to go that you'd be fine that's crazy and i think maybe we restarted medication i can't quite remember yeah that. i don't really remember and but you feel you start to feel more confident when you're on medication and then it feels like you're cured i guess and then things just feel harder once you're going through transitions especially because you're in stressful situations for they're stressful for anyone but mm -hmm. if you have anxiety it's it's gonna be harder but i think joining band for high school was great for you mm -hmm. it worked out um just gave you your own little group um i played french horn mm -hmm. and clarinet they're kind of like a family within the high school mm -hmm. um, yeah we did there was a lot of band practices and they really like tried to promote like the band room as like a safe space for everyone and we did like band trips and you just became like really close with everyone because we would go I think we went to like Philadelphia we went to Disney one year every year there would be a big trip and they were always really fun so how did you do through high school do you feel like do you remember presentations I how remember, do you feel so I remember I was doing pretty well gym class is always like stressful I don't know and if I had classes where I didn't know anyone it was like really scary and I would kind of just like stay to my like keep to myself I actually was having panic like pretty bad panic attacks in high school I think around the time I got put in AP English and English was always like my best subject because I always felt like I can like express myself better through writing than anything and I loved reading um, so I was put in AP English, was, which was, like, really good. But I remember going into that class my first day, and we had to do presentations the very first day. And it was, like, a surprise. Like, nobody knew that was coming. I just remember that classroom was, like, a like used for the drama club. So the desks were up on, like, risers. So, like, it was like you were looking out at, like, a big audience. But I just, like, panicked, and I felt like I, that, like, in addition to gym class, that year I was having, like, panic attacks, and I think I was, like, throwing up and, like, fainting, and I remember sitting in the hallway to avoid falling on the ground. I would just, like, sit down in the hallway. I ended up leaving that class, though, like, within the first week, and I went down to mm. the, um, I don't know what it's called, like, the regular level of English, and I actually really liked that teacher. She was, like, young. And she thought I was, like, such a good writer, or at least she told me I was, like, a really good writer. I don't think I had selective mutism in high school, but then, like, under certain circumstances, the anxiety is, like, so high that you, pro like, I probably couldn't speak. You have to come up with coping skills um, to deal with anxiety in order to get through things like that. I definitely did, like, deep breathing, which I wish I figured out, like, earlier on in life, mm -hmm. because... It's just calm. It literally slows down your like heart rate and helps you stop feeling so panicked. And basically, that's breathing in 
through your nose mm-hmm. and breathing out through your mouth and making the exhale last as long as you can or counting to 10 while you exhale and like holding the breath i feel they don't really teach a lot of coping no. mechanisms now i do like meditation not regularly i know how to calm down now i guess if i'm mm-hmm. feeling anxious so i can breathe deeply and try to challenge negative thoughts do you think um selective mutism affected my grades at all or were people absolutely yeah some teachers just didn't get it. Some teachers wouldn't allow for participation. There was always a participation grade, and that was always like 10% of your grade. So I just feel like there was no winning in that department. And I don't think you should be punished for things you can't control. Right, and I guess now now there's 504s and IEPs, but maybe partly because you were in a um, p- um, private school, but they didn't really have any services. Um, you know, no special ed programs. Um, it was really just up to the individual teacher and how willing they were to accommodate you. Mm-hmm. We'll just go over some like key things that definitely helped my progress. And I think medication was a big one. It definitely made me feel more comfortable and it just like reduced like, symptoms that were making it harder to talk. And so, what do you feel like those symptoms were? Just like my heart pounding and being all sweaty and like Physically, it felt like I couldn't produce speech when I felt like that. I've had therapists talk about how, like, with anxiety, your body just goes into, like, fight, flight, or freeze, which I just learned about freeze. It used to always just be fight or flight. Yeah. Like, back in the day, there used to be, like, predators, and people would have to, like, fight the predator or flee. They talk about freeze now, which is when <laughs> your body literally freezes, which I think is what happens with selective mutism as like a defense mechanism and you're unable to talk. Rabbits do this so if there's like a predator which rabbits have a lot of predators they'll just freeze and pretend that they don't exist and they try to blend in with their environment so I kind of think of it like that Mm -hmm. like you don't have control over it but that's how your body responds to anxiety and I think medication like took away that response kind of so I could just think more clearly Not that this is related, but I just kind of thought of this. It's kind of weird that you say that because when we took you to Children's Hospital for your evaluation, do you remember we went to the gift shop? We felt so bad for you, so we took you to the gift shop and we bought you a stuffed toy and it was a rabbit. Oh, that's funny. Remember that brown rabbit? He's actually black and white. Oh, okay. Well, I know we bought you a rabbit. I remember him. We probably still have him. So it's just funny that you say that. Yeah. That we chose a rabbit. I'm like a rabbit. (laughs) Um, Then I think what... I definitely should have had better anxiety coping skills. I think I, like, would just get into the situation and then people would have to get me out of my panic attack or, like, save me from my fainting and throwing up and stuff. Like, I didn't have a plan in place. Um, Like, now when I start to feel anxious, I, like, recognize it right away and I can start, like, taking deep breaths or, like, just thinking about other things. And I think it's important to teach kids how to do that from a young age. If you're thinking like, oh, everyone's looking at me and everyone's um, judging me, like you're supposed to challenge those thoughts. Even if you don't fully believe it, just challenging them like opens up the possibility that you might be wrong and you might be thinking um, irrationally. Right, okay. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think for little kids who are diagnosed with selective mutism, just I would teach like deep breathing and maybe meditation I don't know but when you have those skills 
and you have a plan in place like in your head and you practice those even when you're not anxious I think when you can identify that you're starting to feel anxious you can use those to feel better and get through it communication with teachers is huge and having like a plan with the school is very important Yep, and every year I would recommend starting off right from the get-go, even before school starts, um, with some sort of like a handout or from from a, an official resource, because I think that it's more validating than mm-hmm. just a note from a parent. I don't... have some resources too that we can put in the show notes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, well, you can't expect like everyone to know what selective mutism is, True. especially when I was in school, no, like it was unheard of. And I think there's more awareness now, but it's still not a lot. So it's really important to educate teachers. I've even had therapists with, like, master's degree in psychology that I have had to explain selective mutism to them because they've never heard of it. These are the resources I found. Um, Selectivemutism.org has a resource for teachers called I'm an Educator. And it just gives, like, tips on how to interact with kids and make school more comfortable. And then um, Stephen Kurtz, he, well, he developed his own therapy for selective mutism, but he has a website called Kurtz Psychology. It's K-U-R-T-Z psychology.com. And he has a free e-course about selective mutism that if your teacher's willing, it would be super um, helpful for them to look at that. And I don't think, did we talk, we didn't mention, but you actually went to Brave Buddies Camp with Dr. Kurtz mm-hmm. to volunteer. I think you were in yeah. high school. And his, that Brave Buddies Camp was in preparation for going back to school. True. So I volunteered for that and it was, um, they set it up like a classroom to get little kids with selective mutism ready for going back to school and like participating in class. Mm-hmm. It was really awesome getting to meet other people. I met a lot of volunteers that had selective mutism as a kid. It was so cool to like see kids who had selective mutism like progress just in one week of like an evidence-based therapy. It was really cool. Mm-hmm. So yeah, he was part of CMI, but now he's got his own practice. Mm-hmm. So definitely like his whole website is full of resources for teachers and parents. So I would definitely check out his website. Um, and Kurtz for Canadian people is K-U-R-T-Z. Oh. <laughs> Psychology. We're Canadian friendly. We mm-hmm. just looked at our stats and we're on the Canadian chart <laughs> on iTunes, so we're excited. Oh, I wanted to talk a little bit about how you would explain selective mutism to a teacher and to classmates. I would say that it's like extreme anxiety. It's not just shyness. It's um, It's almost like you're being paralyzed in the words can't come out no matter how how hard you try I would emphasize that it's not stubbornness it's extreme fear (laughs) right it's not a choice you literally cannot speak in that moment I would really emphasize building a trusting relationship of course it's gonna take a lot of time it's not just gonna get better um, one day and that you have to be patient with the kid who has selective mutism I used to try also before before the school year started or at the end of a grade, I would um, speak to the school and really try to have them pick a teacher that was accommodating and kind. Biggest thing is a kind, a kind teacher mm-hmm. um, for the following year. 
rather than waiting to see what class she was put in and then seeing if the teacher would work with me, I'd always kind of put that out there um, at grading. I don't know how you explain it to classmates because I never wanted them to know I had like some diagnosis or something. And I think, I mean, if the kids are all acknowledging it and saying it all the time, mm-hmm. then I think it's okay to bring it up and maybe even with you not in the classroom. I think I would not want to be in the classroom. Yeah, maybe just to have a talk with the classroom when you're not there, but just to acknowledge it. I think all in all, just over all the years, the biggest factor was the teacher. Having an accommodating teacher that would work with you. I just want to say that it seems like you're never going to, like, get past it when when you have selective mutism. Like, I never could see myself getting a job especially working with people and now I literally do that. I couldn't picture myself going to college and I ended up going to college in another country. (laughs) It takes like so much effort and it's not like an easy thing to do but you have to be strong and push yourself when you know that you can do certain things. And there's a lot of tools out there you really have to tap into them and use them. Right and it's okay to ask for help. Right that's huge. Because it's very tough to ask for help or accept help. And therapy's normal. Everyone should go to therapy. It doesn't make you weird. No, and it doesn't show, oh, you know, weakness. I mean, it... It shows strength because you're willing to challenge yourself. Hopefully we've made you not feel so alone. Hopefully Chelsea's sharing her experiences perhaps resonate with you. And uh, she's given you a few resources to tap into. And I I feel like people, now that selective mutism is more like talked about online I'm just like amazed by how people who have selective mutism even like little like kindergartners are so like resilient and you see them like they push themselves to do crazy things that seem like impossible um even when it's really hard and it's like super inspiring and you've had a couple of kids reach out to you about the podcast yeah it's really cool to hear yeah it's been great I really um would love for kids to listen and Mm -hmm. um I just think they wouldn't feel so alone. Like, if you had this when you were little. Right. I think it would be really cool because I felt like I was the only person because I didn't know anyone else who had selective mutism. <laughs> it was really cool when I met other people who had it, too. And I think it would be awesome for kids to know that they're not alone mm-hmm. and that other people have um, come out on the other side. Mm-hmm. You've done great. Yeah. We're so proud of you. Thanks. Thank you for listening to another episode of Out Loud, the Selective Mutism podcast. We want you to post a back-to-school picture. I'm going to post mine on Instagram and Facebook, and I want people to post a picture of their back-to-school picture and tag us on Instagram or on Facebook, and if you do that, we can give you a shout-out on the next episode. I think it would be fun to see people's back-to-school pictures. Mine is embarrassing, so don't worry. (laughs) Please subscribe if you haven't already, and download episodes, and make sure you follow us on our social media accounts, Facebook and Instagram. We love all the interactions that we're having on there. Um, You're helping spread awareness by talking about selective mutism with us online and sharing our podcast. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you about preschool next.